One of the great invitations coming from one of the world's great religions is an invitation to experience what the Hebrews called shalom, God's peace. Um, their word was, was richer than our word peace. It was a, a word that encapsulated this type of peace that could fill you with contentment. It could fill you with confidence and clarity and hope, even when the world around us is in chaos. And I want to show you a blessing. It comes from an ancient document um, that we now call the Book of Numbers. It's a blessing that the priests were to speak over the children of Israel. Look at this beautiful, beautiful blessing. Many of you may have heard this if you grew up in a Lutheran tradition or a Catholic tradition. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and to be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you what? Peace. They were to speak that blessing over the people, that we would have peace in this rich, rich sense. Well, in the fullness of time, Christians believe that the same God who gave us this blessing stepped into our world as a man, as Jesus Christ. And you look at his life. I mean, if ever a person stepped into chaos, if ever a person had the most important mission and life in, in, in history, if ever there was a person who was surrounded by needs and demands that were beyond anything that you or I could comprehend, and in the face of dangers and challenges and threats that would make Sylvester Stallone hide under his blanket in the fetal position crying for his mom, if ever anyone faced those kind of threats, it was Jesus of Nazareth. In the midst of circumstances that would have left the best of us feeling completely overwhelmed, feeling underprepared, you know, in the midst of those kind of circumstances, Jesus experienced shalom. He didn't just talk about it. He experienced shalom. And then what he did is he taught his disciples. They could experience shalom too. Here's an example of one of the things that Jesus said. This is attributed by an eyewitness or an ear witness, I guess, in this place. He said, peace I leave with you. These are the words of Jesus. My peace I give to you. In the world, you're going to have what? Tribulation. That's a strong word, isn't it? The word you're not going to, you're going to have tribulation. But he says, take heart, I've overcome the world. Well, we started a teaching series a couple weeks ago. Um, about what we're calling simply living. And really it's about how do you get peace in this crazy world? How, how do you get more of this kind of peace? And we have a thesis that forms the backbone of the series, and here it is. There's a place to write this in your notes. I really believe this, that the natural outcome of following Jesus of Nazareth, following his example, following his teaching, the natural outcome of following Jesus is going to be a more focused, peaceful, and rewarding life. Jesus had all those things. For him, it wasn't peaceful versus productive. It was, it was all of those things. In just three years of ministry, Jesus changed the world. And yet, when you look at his life, none of the accounts coming out of the first century, none of them painted a picture of Jesus who was just frantic, you know, desperate. He, he, was, he had a sense of urgency. He knew what he was doing was important. But he didn't walk around all stressed out the way we often carry stress. He knew what to say yes to. He knew what to say no to. And he lived with the kind of peace and clarity that most of us wish we could have more of, right? I wish I had that clarity that he had. And so two weeks ago, we, we started this journey into looking at what he said and what he did and what he taught. 
And in week one of the series, we, we looked at taking the posture of a disciple. If we are going to really try to lock into what he said and what he taught, what does it look like? What does the posture of a disciple look like? And we saw that it's very countercultural. And then in last week, we took a look at how did Jesus approach priorities? How did he set them? You know, we, we looked at Jesus' seek-first approach to life. You can't do everything. He physically couldn't do everything. And what we see in Jesus' life, he said yes first. He had a seek-first mindset. Before he started saying no to everything, he said yes to the most important things. So week one was about taking the posture of a disciple. Week two was about priority setting. And here we go today, money. And one of the things that you're not going to hear today is, is some kind of guilt, shake-up, really what, you know, dis, a, a, a disguised appeal to bail us out for bad budgeting or because we're in debt or something. We don't have any debt as a church. We got money in the bank. This is really about discipleship. This is really about peace. Let me put this out there. See if I can get an amen. There's no peace without financial peace. Can I get an Amen. If you're stressed out about finances, you're not going to have peace. If, if you don't know how to respond to money and the lack thereof, you're never going to experience peace. You and I might not agree. In fact, it's very highly likely that we don't agree on exactly how much money should go where. I'm not going to make a case for that today. But I think everyone in this room would agree. If you don't have financial peace, if you, if you have a, a stressful relationship with money, you're not going to have peace, period, let alone shalom. In fact, I'll go this far. The, I, I will argue that the term financial security, it's an oxymoron. It, it's an illusion. Let me make a case for that. Let's talk about financial insecurity for a moment. Here's just a couple sources. All around the world, there's people wondering, where's my next meal coming from? You know, how am I going to get enough food to feed myself, feed my family? And there's some of that in, in this area too. We have a lot of this. Will I be able to keep my house? We're going to have enough money to pay, make you know, the... the House payment. Will I have enough money in retirement? Will I be able to afford college? Here's some more, even on a bigger scale. We've got insecurity when it comes to money because we have consumer debt, we have college debt, we have upside down mortgages, we've got unemployment, we have underemployment, we have natural, national deficits, we got hackers and cyber attacks and scams, all kinds of new ways to get at our money. We got lawsuits. One devastating illness or injury can wipe out everything. One. There's long-term care. That can wipe out everything. Theft, looting, war, global unrest, fire, floods, hail, earthquake, not washing your car in the wintertime, right, can get expensive. And this is just per more personal stuff. If you're in charge of a business or something like that, now you don't have just your own worries. You've got the worries of your company, your organization. Financial security, it's an oxymoron because you're always one thing away from losing everything materially. You're one thing away from losing everything materially. Now, even though money can't provide absolute security, the Bible does talk about basic things. It talks about saving for what's ahead. The Bible talks about that at least a little bit. The Bible talks about being wise, working hard. The Bible talks about those things. In fact, here's a passage that I think we've touched on before, an important one. The Bible says this, Proverbs 13, 22, a good person leaves an inheritance to his children's children. A good person does that. And I know many of you, if not all of you, are trying to do this. I certainly am. Like many of you, I'm doing everything I can to provide financially for my loved ones after I'm gone. I took on a big old life insurance 
insurance policy on myself. The only debt we carry is our mortgage. Every year, I'm trying to bump up our savings for long term, trying to teach our kids, be wise. You know, you spend, we're doing the best we can to do this. <laughs> but I thought we were going to spend most of our time talking about that. Um, in fact, if you were looking ahead on your notes, um, if you were looking ahead to the things we were going to be talking about today, my original title for this message is going to be 10, 10, 80. So I thought we could focus on this. Let's focus on just being a wise, good steward. Say, you know, give 10 away first, save 10, and then live joyously within that, that 80%. I look at what the Bible says. The Bible raises the bar, really. It says this, but it only says this really once. The Bible talks very little about saving, really. It's important. The Bible touches on it. But here's what the Bible points us to. It raises the bar beyond a trust fund. A good person leaves an inheritance for his children's children. A godly person teaches their loved ones about what? Real treasure. That's what a godly person does. They go the extra mile. Every, every week, I do my best to say, God, would you give us a word for today? And here's the word that I think we got. Let's raise the bar. If you want to leave a great inheritance for your children's children, don't just leave the trust fund. Yep, do everything you can for that. If you want to leave a real inheritance, teach them how to be okay if all they have is their daily bread. Right? That's the real legacy. Are, and are we doing that? Are we pursuing that kind of a legacy? That our inheritance for our children's children will do everything we can to pri provide financial security, but since financial security is an oxymoron, we're going to go that extra mile. Let's see if we can leave a legacy where those who come after us, hey, if I've got the million-dollar inheritance, great. If I don't, great. If I got my daily bread, great. That's the trick, isn't it? And I think that's where the scriptures point us. Jesus had a whole lot to say about money. You know many times he talked about 10, 10, 80? I can't find any. He touches on tithing once that I can think of, and he just references it. He affirms it and goes, yep, you should do that, but let's get beyond that. Let's take a look at an example of the type of thing that Jesus taught. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Let's look at the words of Jesus. And this is very much in line with other things that he taught us about money and wealth and possessions. I want to let you know, too, as returning to the, the Bible, we, we don't want you at this church to just listen to what I say. I love that you're fact-checking me. In fact, we had Brandon was fact-checking me in Greek today. That is awesome. So we want you to have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we want to give you one free today. We keep them there at the tables. They're there as a gift to you. We encourage you to come, especially if we're talking about money, so that you're, you're not going, ah, this guy, this is self-serving, right? Check us on this stuff, all right? Let's look at the words of Jesus. Let's look at them in context. Let's see what he says about money and all these things. All right, here we go. Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 19. Jesus says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, a couple things about this passage. Rather than flowing out of what we talked about last week about priority setting, this actually flows into what we talked about last week about priority setting. This comes first. If you want to get your priorities right, you got to get the money thing right. You got to have a, a relationship with money where there's peace, where you can, you can look at it and say, yep, I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm putting 
right trust into money. I'm, I'm, I'm treating money the way God would have me treat it. If you want to experience real peace, if you want to get your priorities in order, if we want to know what it, what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we've got to get the money and possession thing right because there is no peace without financial peace. There is no peace without financial peace. Now, there's some wordplay. There's all kinds of wordplay going on here in the original Greek. Let me point out just at least a couple of them. What we see translated here in our Bibles as do not lay up treasures on earth, there's some wordplay going on there. It could actually be translated, don't treasure earthly treasures. There's wordplay. Don't treasure earthly treasures. Jesus taught his disciples, treasure things worth treasuring. And then what he does, he just demolishes any semblance of financial security because between moths, between rust, between thieves, none of their stuff was safe. All of their clothes could be eaten by moths back then. If, if you were rich and you had fine linen clothes, moth could eat, moths could eat those. If you had the more common people clothes, moth could eat those. And if you were a common person, you didn't have many clothes. You had a, maybe a couple sets at most. It was really hard to save up enough money to get extra clothes. So the, if the little tiny moth got into your clothes, you're in trouble, right? So, okay, oh, yeah, that's right. My entire wardrobe can get shot by a bug. And then the word rust, what we translate here as rust, is not the thing that attacks our cars every winter. It goes beyond that. This is a word that encompasses not just corrosiveness on metal. It's the kind of corrosiveness that would affect all of their stuff, including even their teeth. This word that we're translating as rust is even like tooth decay. So you've got moths that'll eat all your clothes. You've got rust that'll eat everything else. And if they don't get to it, a thief can break in and steal it. All right, so do you see what Jesus is doing? He's saying everything. This is an age before computer hackers and all that. If Jesus was talking to us now, he'd have to include all the scams and all that, everything, right? He's saying none of your stuff's safe. They're all going, yeah, that's right. It's not safe. Now, I want to say this. For the record, Christianity is not anti-material. You need to hear me say that. It's anti-materialism. It's not anti-material. In, in the Bibles we have, you open them, and who created all the stuff? God. He didn't make us as disembodied spirits. Who put gold in the ground? God. Who put diamonds in the ground? God. I'd probably get an amen from my wife. I'm one of those, right? Right? They, they, yes. They, God put that stuff in the ground. Does God value craftsmanship and artistry? Yes. In fact, the first year, use of the Holy Spirit filling someone in the entire Bible was filling an artisan, a craftsman. So God values stuff. All of our gear that we have comes from stuff that God put in there. So Christianity is not anti-material. What it does do, though, it teaches us how do you steward and approach material things in a wise and God-honoring way. And how do we not put our hopes in them falsely? That's what Christianity does. All right. Now, the next two verses are as practical a teaching as you're going to find when it comes to how do you learn then to treasure what's really treasure? How do, you, how, how do you get your heart there besides just your head? And I want to point out as we continue that the man who gave us these words, the man who actually wrote this down was a former money guy named what? Who? What was his name? Matthew. He was a former money guy. And what he saw in Jesus' life, what he heard Jesus say, so changed him that he left all that behind to follow Jesus. All right? So this is coming from that source. Let's keep going. Let's pick up with verse 
What are we on? 22. Here we go. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body is going to be full of light. But if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. If then your, uh, let's see, your eye is bad, your whole body will be filled with darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Let me read that one more time because I don't even think I got it right. The, the, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great the darkness. Now, truth be told, I didn't know some of what I'm about to share with you until I dug into this text. This is always one of those. I'm just like, I know this. This is self-explanatory, this passage, right? But this is the first time I, I cracked open my commentaries and I dug in. And, and so if you've done that before, this is not new to you. But for some of us, this is going to be new. If not, if it's just new to me, I just like to share it. So here we go. Um, if I understand the history correctly, in Jesus' day, many people believed that our eyes worked more like two flashlights than two video cameras. With today's understanding of, of how the eyes work, we understand it's more like video cameras, these images that are coming in. It was thought back then in the day by many of the people that Jesus was talking to that there was a light within you that when you opened your eyes, it enabled you to see. And so if that light within you was dark, if it was corrupt, what you set your eyes upon would be distorted, wouldn't be seen correctly. That's very interesting. Also in Jesus' day, when a single eye was referenced, versus two eyes, when a single eye was referenced, it was normally associated with generosity. So when they're referencing one eye, that generally meant you were a generous person. Your eye was fixed on what was right, a right, right way to deal with money. And conversely, on the other hand, if you had a bad eye, it could mean that one of your eyes was, was physically bad. But it, it could also refer to a selfish or greedy heart. Put another way, the light within you, if you had the bad eye, was bad. Why does this matter? It matters because even among Jesus' original audience, they were familiar with a heart-eye connection. Let me put it here on the screen and then we'll show it in a diagram here. What the people already understood was what your heart treasures affects what you set your eye upon. And what you set your eye upon affects what your heart treasures. Here it is in a, a, in a diagram form. If the light within you is bright, the way you're going to see things is more clearly seen, right? So if you've got that generous heart, you look out, you begin to see, oh, wait, I'm keeping too much for myself. I should really give away. You're starting to see this would be a good way to spend God's money. This would be a bad way to spend. You're stewarding things well if the light within you is good. And if you're focusing on the good things, if you're seeing treasure that's really treasured, that's going to also feed that light within you too. There's, there's, there's a cycle that's working in your favor. Now... If the light within you is darkness and you're, you're consumed with fear, greed, insecurity, the way you look at things, you're going to be fearful. You're going to look out there and go, whoa, i got, I got to be careful because I might lose what, what I have. Or you might look out and go, I want what they have. I, I covet what they have. How come I don't have what they have? I need what they have. And so if there's darkness within you, you might be looking at the world very differently. Does that make sense? So there's this eye and heart connection. If you want financial peace, you want to get this working for you. And you don't want to have this going on in your life, right? 
You want to get that first one working for you. You want to get the, your eyes set on the re- things that are real treasure so that your heart will be in close uh, relationship with that. Now, it's also worth noting that Jesus used single rather than plural language in reference to the eyes. When Jesus talked, he didn't talk about two sets of eyes in two different people. He used the singular. And that's really interesting when you look at what comes next. So Jesus talks about one eye, a good eye, a bad eye, in one person. And then this comes next. After talking about one eye, he says, no one can serve two masters. Picking up in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. You're either going to hate one and love the other, or you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. And the Greek word that Matthew uses is this one you see on the screen. It comes from a Hebrew or Aramaic word, which is probably the one that came from Jesus' lips, called mammon. And mammon doesn't just mean money. It means possessions. It means wealth. It means all that stuff. And what Jesus appears to be saying is... Remember, he uses singular, right? You can't put one eye on the good things and another one of your eyes on the bad things, right? Everyone knows that, He's, right? You can't put one eye over here and one eye over there and focus. You can't. And your heart, your heart follows where your eyes are. You can't put your whole heart over here and your whole heart over here. And then he builds on that. You can't have two masters. And when he says you can't serve two masters, he uses the word serve that would be for a slave master relationship. He's not talking about employer here because you can serve two employers. You can't serve two masters. So, so everyone's head's nodding. Yep, we got it, Jesus. You can't put one eye over here, one eye over there. You can't put your whole heart here. You can't put your whole heart there. You can't follow this master and this master. You can't serve this master that's that master. So everyone's heads are nodding, same direction. Then comes the punchline. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't. You can't serve those two things. A would-be follower of God needs to make a decision. What comes first? Who are you going to seek first? Who are you going to serve first? Who are you going to trust first? Who are you going to worship first? Who gets your first? Who gets your best? Who gets your leftovers? This is one of the reasons why tithing is a really big deal. Because tithing represents that mindset of who gets the first and the best. Now, again, you may not end up on 10%, but this is one of the reasons why it's a big deal. Talk is cheap, pun intended, right? It's easy to say, I give you my whole heart. I mean, I think about some of these lines we were singing. I just wrote down a couple of them. We, we, we sang, thou alone shall be my glory. Nothing in this world I see. Right? We, we sang, God, cause my faith to stand at attention. Well, the way we invest God's money is one of those things. So this ironically comes at a very good time of the year. If you want to see where your financial priorities are, just look at your tax forms, right? And again, I don't know enough about your situation to be able to judge what, where your money should be going and what percentage should be going where. I just want to challenge you to look at where your money went last year. Look at that and say, do I have peace that given all the circumstances of my life, this reflects a God-first investment of his money and his resources. Our financial, and I'm using the word our, you're going to see this, our, we, because I don't have the gift of giving. The Bible talks about spiritual gifts. I don't have that one. 
I have to make decision to give a lot. And, and so this is we our language, this is our language. Our financial offerings, they're a real indicator of the light level in our hearts when it comes to things and material. It's a rubber meets the road act of faith. To, to give first to God, it's a rubber meets the road act of faith that says in God we trust, not mammon. It's a rubber meets the road act of worship that says God is worthy of my first and my best. The other little g gods, they don't get it first. God does. It's a rubber meets the road act of devotion that says I will love you with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength and I'll put no other gods before you. And, and here's the thing about tithing. When we tithe, we language, our language, when we tithe, we're only 10% of the way there, right? When we tithe, we're only 10% of the way there. Why did Jesus have financial peace? Because he recognized it's all God's. It's all God's. It isn't mine, and I'm going to give him 10%. It's all God's, all his. Jesus understood that. And he also recognized there's going to be a complete material reset in the age to come. So I can accumulate all these things, but in the age to come, there's going to be a complete material reset anyway. And he recognized the insecurities attached with financial and the deception and all these things. He had this peace. So the goal is never to just say, okay, I'm giving 10%. The goal is, okay, what does it look like to believe that everything is God's and then to re live accordingly? What does that look like? How much should we save? You know, how much should we give and to whom? Not just to anybody. To whom if we're going to give? And how much should we enjoy right now? Because you go through the scriptures, there's enjoyment of God's resources, right? So here's the million-dollar question, pun intended. How do we become more like Jesus? How do we move from it just being an act of the will? Because for most of us, let's be honest, giving is an act of the will, right? It's obedience. It's surrender. It's God, I will make this sacrifice. That's how it starts usually, right? It's an act of the will. I'm going to do this. How could we become more like Christ? And now it's not just an act of the will, but it's actually my heart is there too. How, how do we get more where, where we get this light within us that says I can just joyfully trust and give and worship him in this way? I think a step in the right direction is this to set our eyes on good things. I don't know why it takes me 46 years to get this, right? I think that's one of the keys. If you want it to become more than just a, um, an obligation, more than a sacrifice, more than just a, I'm doing this because I should, because it's right, how does it feel right? It feels more right when you set your eyes on treasure that's really treasure. I, I hope you see that around here. I, I hope that when you look at the kids' ministry, you go, this is a great way to invest God's money. I hope when you see the teen ministry, you say the same thing. I hope when you see the relationships that are forming and all that stuff, I hope when you see that, you get excited. But beyond our church, for me, what really goes and gets at that heart place is when I set my eyes on this, things like this. This is a painting that we got from Emmanuel Children's Home. When I set my eyes on things like this, it helps me to recalibrate. Each and every one of these little dots, you know what they are? It's a thumbprint from one of the kids. And when you know and you've seen those little thumbs and you see the unique things and the unique stories in their life 
and you see the hope. Because I'll tell you one of the things that'll really dishearten you, if you give God's money to people who squander it, if you give God's money to people who are just as greedy as you are, they just don't have as much as you have, if, if you give your money to causes that are not changing lives, that's disheartening. It's like, I might as well kept that, right? I'm not doing any good with that. But when you give to people and organizations that, where there's hope, it does so many good things, especially if you're doing it across economic lines, which most of us who live in this area, we need to do. Because when you get firsthand, when you get firsthand with some of these folks, you begin to realize, whoa, my house doesn't look as small as I thought it was. Whoa, my gear doesn't look as outdated as I thought it did. Whoa, my car looks a lot nicer than I thought it did. When your eyes are on all the stuff around us and all the stuff that people are spending billions of dollars to get us to look at, you're discontent, right? You're more discontent. And if you, even if you get that thing, or how, long, how long are you content? Until the next thing comes out, right? But when you can put your eyes on, and put your eyes where, wow, this person literally doesn't have enough money for their next meal. And we threw food away this week. It changes you. It starts to level set your mind. It level sets your heart. You begin to realize, wait a minute, okay, I see stewardship better here. I do have more than I need. I am blessed versus the other way around. And I tell you, one of the things that happened to me when it comes to Juarez, I'm a flaming advocate for that place. You know, I'm an evangelist for that children's home. I, I can't shut up about it. If you're around here, I, I'd say it about twice a month. It comes up somehow because, I'm, because there's treasure there, right? There's treasure there. So here's a question that I'm going to keep asking until every person in our church has an answer to this question. Where's your Juarez? Where is your Juarez? Where is your place, whether it's right here in Shoreview, whether it's in the Powderhorn neighborhood of Minneapolis, whether it's in Juarez, whether it's in Haiti, whether it's in the Appalachian Mountains, whether it's at Pine Ridge, Indiana, where is your Juarez? Where is the place where you go and your eyes are set on God doing good things among people who really don't have as much as we have? Where is your Juarez? Again, I can't shut up about the children's home. I tell everybody about the treasure that I found there. Since I've gone, I've been bringing people with. Here's some pictures. I think you've probably seen some of these before. There's my family. I bring my family with because I want to leave a legacy. And I don't want the legacy to be my kids send 10% to missions. That's not a legacy. The legacy is I've seen with my own eyes how blessed we are. And these are my friends. That's a legacy, right? And then this other picture down here, the black and white one, I didn't know uh, that Kevin was going to be running the slides today. Kevin is the guy over there on the far right. That's Kevin when he was in ninth grade. I've been bringing not just my family, everyone, bring everybody I can. Brought the youth group. Bring friends. You, when, when you have this treasure, you want to share it because it's better than the stuff of this world. And you want other people to go and to see that you can make a difference. You can make a difference. Can we put the continuum up now, Kevin? This... Here's one of the reasons why at this church we're so passionate about partnerships. And we're just getting started. We, we, we hear you about trying, how do we get more family, things that people can go to, all that kind of stuff. We're, we're doing the best we can. And we'd invite you to come and help us. Help us. Because I believe in partnerships. I believe in, I, I believe in not outsourcing your outreach. Right? Is it more cost effective to outsource your outreach? 
I, I would argue that point. Because if you capture somebody's heart, they're all in, right? You can just send the check. It seems to be more cost effective. You send the person. You know, you might go from that 10 to that 90 pretty quick. Here's what we want to try to do. We want to help people move from insulated from these people, these situations, to introduced. And here's why. If the Spirit of God is in you, and you come close to close, if you remove the insulation, you ever seen those wires that have insulation on them, right, that plastic on them? You take that plastic off, and electricity, that's a bad thing, because you touch that, and ouch, right? In real life, you take that insulation off, it's a good thing. Because now when you feel the pain, their pain, you feel it, right? Because there's no insulation. There's not all these miles. There's not all these neighborhoods. There's not all these divisions. You feel their pain. You also feel their joy. You also feel their joy. So if, if the Spirit of God is in you, you're introduced to their pain, their joy, you become engaged. No one has to tell you, get involved. You get involved. And then you move from engaged to advocate. You want to tell ever, others about this treasure that you found, right? Here's what it says, 1 John 3. Again, this isn't just me making this stuff up. If anyone has the world's goods, you see your brother in need. You remove the insulation. You get your eyes focused on real treasure. If anyone has the world's goods, they see their brother in need, yet closes their heart against you. How does the God's love abide in you? Dear children, let's not love with word or talk. Let's love with deeds and truth. If the spirit of Christ is in you, that same spirit that, that got Jesus excited about the things that were really treasure will be stirred up in you. And you get this thing working for you. Your eyes will be seeing treasure. It'll be filling your heart with light. You want to set your eyes on more treasure. You'll start eliminating stuff that isn't. That's why to have these ongoing relationships is so important because I lose it so fast. I lose it so fast. That's why I think like things that these newsletters of the stories come out of the homes, the prayer requests, all that kind of stuff is so helpful. Something happens in a godly person when we have the world's goods and we remove the insulation between us and a brother and sister in need. When their pain becomes our own, it often shocks us into realizing how blessed we are and how much God has entrusted with us. If you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and you're struggling to treasure the things that Jesus treasured, one of the best things you can do is to find your ORS. So we've got ideas in the children's home. If, that, if you want to try walking towards that, you can start getting on their prayer list, get on their email list. You can come and visit with us. You can sponsor a kid. Talk to Tim. He's doing great things in, the Minneapolis, in Minneapolis, in the Powderhorn neighborhood. There's great opportunities there to build some of these relationships. This year, we're setting aside money in our budget. You know, if we approve it here in a couple months, if we're, we're setting aside money to say, how do we really move beyond bringing food for the food shelf? How do we find those partnerships right here? Shoreview, Arden Hills, Badness Heights. What would God have us to do right here to be building those relationships? there's something happens when God's people set their eyes on treasure that is really treasure. If you want to simplify your life in a God-honoring way, if you want to have your life more in alignment where your head and your heart, you're not just giving out of obedience, but you're giving out of joy, one of the best things you can do is not try to follow two masters. Simplify. Get down to one. Get down to one. So on that note, let's, let's pray. Would you please stand with me and pray? As we close here today. Lord, um, as we prayed uh, that first hour, Lord, I, I pray that all the things that came out of my mouth that were not from you just were filtered out 
that your spirit would speak to us. And Lord, um, I pray that one of the things that doesn't happen is that we get some sort of spirit of judgment that fills this place where we start looking at other people and how much we think they should be doing. Lord, I pray instead that you'll, you'll, you'll help us right now to, to get that peace with you, that it's just us. It's just us and you. Lord, that you'll speak to us as individuals and show us what is right. Give us the courage to do what is right. And then, Lord, help us to, to find these relationships, whether it's right here, whether it's in the city, whether it's somewhere else in Minnesota, whether it's somewhere else in the country, whether it's somewhere else around the world. Help us to find something where your treasure is clear and where we can be used by you to make a difference in it so that our eyes can be opened to how blessed we are and what real treasure is. So Lord, would you do that for us? Remove the insulation. Help us to be introduced, perhaps even this week, introduced to real pain, real joy, real treasure. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on your way out, we got people that would love to pray with you. If you want to pray about this or anything, Joel's right there for you. All right, God bless you guys. Have a great week.